Welcome to the For the City podcast. I'm Andrea Fremont. Today we are continuing our four-part series, Restless, For the City, with episode three. If you haven't heard episodes one and two yet, you should go check those out first. Drew's webinar about creating communities of practice is coming up quickly on December 8th. So if you haven't signed up yet, you should sign up now at forthecity.org forward slash webinar. Okay, now on to episode three with Drew Dodson. Well, okay, welcome. And uh, as promised, uh, if I managed to uh, discourage you or depress you in that last one with some of those statistics and some critique of retail Christianity or commercial Christianity, I'm sorry, but I feel like it had to be done. We need to, we need to embrace reality. It's one of the first moves of sanity, I think, is to embrace reality. And we're looking at significant challenges, significant changes, uh, significant trends in American church, in American Christianity, that it just won't help us to stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and just to pretend like it's still the 1950s, or for that matter, the 1980s in the megachurch heyday. Uh, so, but I'm hoping that uh, this episode, uh, we began to put a little more positive uh, meat on the bone. Uh, what I really want to do is directly tackle this phrase that you've heard us using, communities of practice. Uh, I like it in these conversations even better than using the word church because church beep, 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 needs one of those backup warning signals on it. Uh, like the big giant dump trucks have when you say the word church, beep, 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 uh, something's about, someone's about to back up and dump a whole truckload of assumptions, definitions, uh, presuppositions on you that you may or may not agree with. And so of course, with among us, Jesus followers, there's lots of argument and discussion about church and does does having uh, breakfast on Sunday morning at uh, at some local restaurant will that qualify as church or does it have to be in a building or is it a small group or whatever? Uh, do professionals need to be in charge? Is there a microphone? Uh, what constitutes church? And so we're suggesting that we begin to use this phrase and think about this phrase, community of practice. Now, where in the world does that come from? It's not in your Bible. Don't be look, you don't have to look it up in a concordance or anything. It's not in there. It's a phrase that actually comes out of business, American business. Uh, and I understand the story goes. I've, I've, got a book, I've got a book around here somewhere in my office. It's a big old thick book. It's 300 pages on communities of practice. It's written by experts, published by uh, Harvard uh, Business Press, University Business Press, uh, it's been out a while, but it's, it's everything you ever wanted to know and more about communities of practice. And it's a business book. It's not a religious book. It's not about church. But here's the story they tell right off the bat when they're trying to help the reader understand what they mean by this phrase, community of practice. Uh, back in the days, some of us will remember this, or you, almost all of us have heard of this. American car manufacturers were under real stress back in the 60s uh, or in 70s. Uh, these upstart young Japanese companies were starting to bring cars to America, and Americans were buying them. And American car makers were having a tough time competing at first. Uh, the Japanese car makers, they could, they could go from an idea about a new car, a new product, and within about two and a half years, two years, they could have a car on a dealer lot somewhere for you to buy. It took American car manufacturers five years to do that, five years. So they were just being outcompeted, and 
A lot of management gurus made their reputations and fortunes on teaching American car manufacturers how to do it like the Japanese were doing it. Uh, we studied their techniques. And one of the big techniques was instead of having all the engineers in a building and all the interior designers in a separate building and all of the body designers in a third separate building and all these specialties in separate buildings, what they began to do was they began to form teams around the model of car they were working on. So all the pickup truck guys came together, engineers, brake engineers, engine engineers, fabric designers, interior designers, the kind of people that sculpt the outside of the pickup truck, the body designers. They'd, they put them into one building just working on one product, the new pickup truck or the new minivan or the new sports car. And lo and behold, sure enough, they reduced the lead time and began to compete with the Japanese. They could, they could, I think Chrysler at the time, they did. They went from a five-year production timeline to two and a half years. Great success. Lowered production costs, helped them begin to compete with the Japanese. But then they realized, uh, like those great theologians, the Eagles say from, my, from the 70s, every form of refuge has its price. Well, so the gains in efficiency by imitating the Japanese, they realized they had lost something as well. What they had lost was learning. They weren't capturing corporate learning. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, for instance, the brake engineers sitting in their building along with the engine guys and the interior guys and the exterior guys, they may have learned something new and great about a better brake system for the pickup truck that they were working on. There was no formal way to share their new brake knowledge with those brake engineers in that other building who were working on the minivan or the guys in the third building who were working on the sports car. And so what began to happen informally, top brass didn't see this, the engineers began to see they needed to share what they were learning. They were finding new materials, new designs. They were making better brakes over here on this minivan platform. So they began to have coffee with the guys working on pickup trucks or the guys working on sports cars. Just informal, break time, after hours, go out and get pizza and a beer. And, and they'd just kind of geek out. They were brake engineers after all. I mean, I'm an engineer, and so engineers can geek out on whatever they're interested in. These guys would geek out on brakes, and they would share what they were learning. Some of them began to actually capture that learning in documents. They began to actually write up what their cohorts had learned, and they would add it, and uh, they began to meet more regularly, and they actually began to generate what they called a book of knowledge. They actually began to write down what they were learning, what the brake engineers were learning across these different platforms. Well, then other disciplines began to hear about this. Other kinds of engineers, other kinds of designers began to hear about this. And so these informal meetings began to happen around Chrysler across these platforms of sharing knowledge about their particular domain. Their domain may have been brakes. Their domain may have been interior design. Their domain may have been V6 engines. Whatever, they began to meet together and they began to use the phrase, they call these communities of practice. Later, Chrysler saw the value of this. Not only they got the efficiencies from the Japanese, but then they began to, they found a way to capture knowledge and share it, best practices. So you should be, you should be hearing the idea of a community of practice. Uh, they began to capture these best practices. And so they were getting the best of both worlds, efficiency and 
shared knowledge. And later, Chrysler made these formal, actually hired people to run them and encourage them because they saw such great benefits from us. Okay, long story just to say, it's not a religious term, but I think it's helpful to us Jesus followers. It's helpful to us who are restless about how we're doing church and about how we're not loving our neighbors uh, well enough, how we're not helping well enough, that too much of the time when we help, it hurts. Uh, So what do we mean? A community of practice. Let's take a second and dissect it. A community is a group of people. How's that for a flash of insight? Duh, we're talking about a group of people, a community, but it's a community, it's a group of people that has some intentionality. It's a group of people that are concerned about a domain. They're passionate about some area, some issue, some problem, or some opportunity. Uh, so it's a, it's a group of people who are intentionally focusing on a domain, an area of expertise, knowledge, an, an area that's a problem, something that generates interest and passion in them. And they somehow find a way to communicate regularly and share the best practices on how to solve that problem or build that break, or if it's a hobby to build that model airplane or whatever it might be, but this is a normal human function. You find people who are interested in what you're interested in, and then you share the best way to do that. Well, it got very formal at a place like Chrysler. And we're suggesting here at Ford the City, this is a way helpful concept for those of us interested in serving the marginalized, loving our neighbor, uh, innovating uh, in church, both in forms of church and in how church serves its neighbor. We're proposing that for the city and this uh, this network that COVID kind of uh, put on hold for a while, we're proposing that we become a community of practice, a community that is very much interested in loving our neighbor, in serving the marginalized, interested in imagining and innovating uh, new ways of doing church or, or, or new ways of churches doing Uh, missions in helping their neighbor and serving the marginalized. And that we become a community of practice that is focused on that domain, uh, the problems that our cities and our neighborhoods are facing, and our interest in bringing the gospel of Jesus, the kingdom of God, to bear in an actually helpful way, a fruitful way, to actually move the needle, to reduce the darkness, to reduce the suffering, and actually begin to help without hurting, uh, to, to serve and get on a journey with our neighbors because, as I've said before, it turns out that they have a lot to teach us. We're not going in with a God complex that we're the rich white folks who can help all you lazy poor folks. It's more the idea that we want to travel with our neighbor. They have a lot to teach us about uh, gratitude and life and community, and they can join our community of practice, and we can help perhaps them with some perhaps job creation or perhaps better ways of going about seeking an education or whatever the practices might turn out to be. And we're inviting you to join us in this community of practice called For the City, that we might actually innovate, we might actually share best practices, capture knowledge. What do you know? You're bound to know a lot more than just me or Andrea or Taylor knows. What do we know as a community about how to genuinely help, how to innovate church practices and church forms individual practices. How are you moving the needle in your neighborhood, in your area? We, we need to know. We invite you to let us know so we can highlight those things, share the best practices, 
capture the knowledge. A little bit deeper for today is to, is to say this. See, I think community of practice, although you won't find a Bible verse about it, is all over the Bible. Uh, just one place I'd talk about it is uh, some of you folks who have been in church a while, and certainly all of you clergy folks listening, will know that uh, the word often translated as church in the New Testament is the w- Greek word ekklesia. And you probably have heard some pastor say, because we all like to trot out our Greek knowledge, all of us guys who've been off at seminary, you've probably heard some pastors say ecclesia means the called out ones, the gathered ones. And that's accurate. That's true. What you probably don't know or maybe not have heard is that it's not a religious term. It's kind of like communities of practice. Ecclesia was not a term about religion. It wasn't a term about Judaism. It wasn't a term about Christianity because Christianity barely existed and didn't really exist yet. Ecclesia was a political term. It was a term used in the Roman and Greek cities of their day to talk about the true citizens of that city. And this could be a long thing. I'll keep it real short. Every city had bureaucrats and had people who made a living from the city coffers, the taxes. But in the the bureaucracy, there was always the police or perhaps the Roman army, depending on where you were in the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus and his apostles. So there, was, there were city governments, and there were regional governments, and of course there was Rome. Uh, but the ecclesia was something different. It was not a standing bureaucracy. What would happen is when the bureaucracy of a city bumped into a decision that needed to be made, an important decision for the good of the city, they would call together, here's, here's the called out ones, they would call together the free citizens of that city to make a decision. They would call together the ecclesia. Now, to be in the ecclesia, you could not be a slave. You had to be a man. You couldn't be a woman. And you needed to be, for the most part, 90% of the time, Roman or Greek. Uh, And so it begins to make a little, give some color to Paul when Paul announces that because of the gospel of Jesus, you no longer have to be free or slave male or female, Greek or or Jew, that the kingdom of God, the ecclesia of God, is now open to everyone because of Jesus. So the ecclesia concept is a concept, a political concept of what's best for my city. Let's get all the citizens together and make decisions and decide to act for the good of the city. So when the New Testament uses ecclesia, it's proposing that. Followers of Jesus, kingdom of God citizens, are now the real ecclesia of Philippi, of Thessalonica, of Ephesus, of Corinth. And that when the citizens of God's kingdom, the followers of Jesus, when they come together, not as a bureaucracy, not initially as an institution with a building downtown, but just as concerned citizens, when they gather, they should meet and plot, and plan, and talk about, and pray about how to meet the urgent needs of their city. That's Titus chapter 2 and 3. That little letter of Titus sums it up in just about a page. Paul wants all the churches on that little island of Crete, as he's writing Titus, his team member, he wants them to come together and plan on how they're going to meet the urgent needs of their broader community, their city, their island, so as not to prove worthless, he says at the very end of the letter.
That's what ekklesia means. It's an ancient Greek word that we think is communicated very well by this idea of a community of practice. What would it mean for us to get good at meeting the urgent needs of our neighborhoods and our cities? What would it mean for us to share that knowledge through the For the City Network, through this podcast, through your stories as you tell them to us, as we interview you, if you'll contact us and tell us your story? We want to create that community of practice, that ecclesia, that is passionate about loving our neighbor, serving the marginalized, blessing our cities, and moving back, pushing back the darkness and the suffering that we all see around us. So I hope that helps in understanding why we like that phrase and what it means. And I'll see you next time. Thanks. If you've liked this series so far, or if you want to be a part of the community of practice that we're building here, you should sign up for Drew's webinar at forthecity.org forward slash webinar. It will be presented by For the City, so there will be no cost to you to attend. But don't wait to sign up because spots are filling up.